Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home, like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to enter into your praise as we consider the marvels of your grace towards sinners like us. Yes, false and full of sin we are, but you, O Christ, are full of grace and truth. There is our hope, there is our confidence, there is our cause for praise in thanksgiving because you are the God who saves. Do it now, O God, we plead, and fill our souls with a sense of the wonders of your love. For Jesus Christ's sake we pray. Amen. What if I were to begin this morning with an announcement that there was a mistake made in the accession of a king to the throne just a few days ago? We do not, in fact, have a King Charles III. We have a King Darren I. Darren was, until very recently, detained at Her Majesty's pleasure at Her Majesty's prison of Belmarsh. But it is Darren who has been named as the new king. Once he was a prisoner, uh, once he was there on the, uh, the wing in one of the most difficult prisons in the country. But it's Darren who is now seated on the throne and will have the place of honour tomorrow at the funeral and whose coronation we shall soon be celebrating. And you'd be thinking... Who is Darren? And how does Darren get to be king? We know how this works. We know the way that the blue blood flows. We know how the family dynamics operate. It's Charles, isn't it? It's Charles who sits on the throne, and he's been scattering names and titles left, right, and centre, so that uh, William has become the Prince of Wales in the place of Charles, who was the Prince of Wales. And in due course, if, if God spares them, then William will become King William V. That's the way things work. But it's not the way God works things. And that's what this psalm is celebrating. There's language here that is taken from the song of a woman called Hannah. She was one of the wives of a man, one of whose wives was fruitful. Hannah was barren, and yet the Lord made her fruitful from her womb. The psalm may have been written by or about a man called David. David was the youngest son of his father. And when the prophet Samuel came to find the king of Israel, David was the one who was out in the fields looking after the sheep they had to call him in and even then his brothers continued to to think of him as a upstart of sorts 
But David wonders that God took him from caring from the sheep for the sheep to sit on the throne of Israel. And as you look through the whole scriptures, you, you see the fishermen who are called to be preachers of the gospel. A man who's taken from uh, the tax collector's booth, working for the Roman occupiers, to be a writer of the gospel. A persecutor like Saul of Tarsus, who is called to be a Christian and an apostolic preacher of truth. Now, that ought to sound strange to you. It ought to be striking to you. But it is delightful to God. It is the way God works. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who then is like our God, who dwells on high who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. What does God do, my friends? Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 113. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. That's godlike. It's manlike to put the Prince of Wales on the throne of England. It's godlike to raise the poor out of the dust and to seat them with princes. Consider then the grace that is in God, the God who loves to reach low in order that he may raise on high. Where does God find us? Where does God find us? Poor and in the dust needy and on the ash heap poor and needy that's weak and dependent that's helpless and hopeless that's the lowest and the scummiest it's the dust and the dunghill god isn't talking here about people who get recycled he's talking about people who get thrown away this is the refuse heap this is the trash, this is the garbage, and the poor and the needy are sitting there. Now, some God finds on the heap of society, the ash heap, the dust heap of this present age. I confess I have a real concern about what's going to happen tomorrow. Because a resplendent coffin will be drawn by a great troop of Navy officers. And they're going to go into a building that is stunning and will be decked out with all the glory of earthly monarchy. There will be cathedrals and there will be crowns. There will be copes and there will be chasubles. There will be robes and there will be scepters. And many will say, Oh, that's religion that's religion it's for the great it's for the good it's for the glorious it's people speaking in plummy tones before the princes and the presidents and the prime ministers of the gathered world that's what religion is like and that's what who religion is for and God says, no, it's not. Not many wise, not many noble. Notice, not, not any. 
There was a, a lady called Selina, Countess of Huntingdon. She used to say, I rejoice in the letter M. Because it says not many. She was high class in society. She said, I'm not excluded. But it does say not many. And it's not just the great and the good. It's not the rich and the famous. It's not the celebrities and the sports stars. And it's not about the cathedrals and the copes and the crowns. God saves outcasts. God delights to show his mercy to the poorest and the lowest in society. Religion is not for the great and the good. And if they only knew it, they would understand themselves to be amongst the poor on the dust heap in a spiritual sense. You may not be here this morning feeling yourself the lowest of the low. But there's not a man or a woman who lives in this town. There's not a wretch who's got no roof over their head. There's not a person who's wondering where the next meal is coming from. There's not somebody who's sleeping under a bush, sleeping in a doorway, begging for a crust of bread, who is excluded from God's mercy. He raises the poor out of the dust, lifts the needy out of the ash heap. God finds us on the heap of society sometimes. He also finds us on the heap of sin, dead in trespasses and sins. Poverty and neediness are just these faint pictures of the desperate state we are in by nature. We are mired in ungodliness. We are deep in filth. And again, that is true, however nicely polished we may appear to be on the outside. You may desperately have tried to sort your life out. You may be here this morning with all the spit and polish of your Sunday best. But our Lord Jesus speaks of men who are whitewashed tombs. They gleam in the sun because on the outside they're all spick and span and and brightened up. But what's inside? Dead men's bones. My friends, it's not our outward appearance. It's not our seating in the, in the cathedral, in the abbey. But rather, it's our relationship to God. You can look spick and span outside. And you can be inwardly vile. Full of sin. Full of uglinesses. And your thoughts and your words and your deeds reveal the dirtiness. You may be able to sustain the performance sometimes and under certain circumstances. But if you are honest in your soul, there is vileness, there is filth, there is muck. And so God finds us too on the heap of shame. When I speak like that, there may be someone here who thinks you have no idea. You have no idea what I've been what I've done, what I've experienced. You're here this morning, perhaps even as a Christian, and you're looking back on a history, perhaps before you were converted, and there are things that you have said, things that you have done, things that you have been through, places you have gone to, experiences you have entered into, and they make your stomach churn. Things you hope no one else will ever find out about. 
Things that perhaps even today you wake up with a cold sweat and you say, please, Lord, let that never come out about me. Perhaps even a sense of self-loathing to the point of despair. Our society is gripped by a a wave, it seems. Self-abuse takes various forms, but it is so often the expression of people who just hate themselves, grieve over themselves, don't know what to do with themselves. They feel as if things have been done to them or as if they have done things and it's the only way that they seem to be able to get it out of their systems. God has found some who have gone to the extremities of vice and violence. No matter how sinful and no matter how shameful. You may feel yourself too far gone But I'm speaking to you today about a God who finds his people on the dust and in the ash heap. And so you may be on the heap of sorrow. Perhaps because of where you are in society. Perhaps because of your sin and your shame. You may be weeping tears, if not publicly, then at least privately, of shame and grief and distress over your sin. You may grieve and mourn not just over your sin, but also perhaps over the sins of others around you and even against you, so that your sorrow and your shame is not only what you have done against God, but what others have done likewise. You may be here this morning in a state of profound distress. There may be recent history or longer history that leaves you saying, Oh God, where will I find relief? Who will love me? Who will care for me? Who will watch over me? Misery of soul, the kind of darkness that begins to breed even despair. Do you have any sense of that this morning? I'm not saying there's any inherent virtue in in somehow boasting that you've reached the bottom of the pile. I'm not saying there's any merit in saying I'm so low, surely now I'm entitled to some kind of favour. But I mean, when we sing, I am all unrighteousness, you say yes. I know what that means. False and full of sin I am. Yes, I know what that means. I know what it is. To look within and find the muck and the filth and the guilt and the shame. I acknowledge that in myself I have no claims to greatness, to to blessing, to favour. Christian is someone who has been reduced to spiritual beggary. Who understands that they have nothing except what God is pleased to hold out. And you know what? Kings and queens need to use the same language. Prime ministers and presidents, the great and the good, the celebrities and the sports stars, the people who will be on camera rather than watching those who are on camera. When it comes to matters of the soul, they are poor and dusty. They are needy and ashy. This is where God finds his people. Poor and in the dust, needy and on the ash heap. Now what does God do with us? 
He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Last Lord's Day, we looked briefly at a portion of Psalm 72. Did you remember what we read in verse 12 concerning God's king? He will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. Here's help for the helpless. Here is hope for the hopeless. Here is a God high above all nations, his glory above the heavens, who chooses to display the greatness of his glory in his dealings with the weakest and the worst, with the most helpless and the most hopeless. How does God demonstrate the majesty of his love? How does God demonstrate the infinities of his mercy? How does God placard before us the greatness of his wisdom? How does he show us something of the depths of his grace? How does he exalt his all-powerfulness? How does he make his goodness to pass before his people? Jesus, you are all compassion, pure, unbounded grace you are. There is the demonstration of God's glory and majesty. He lifts, he raises, he picks up and points up. What does he do? Well, he raises our desires. Have you become sick of your sin? I don't know if you've ever eaten too much of something that you think is nice and sweet. The Proverbs talks about getting too much honey. and Eventually you vomit. Some of you children... I could eat ice cream all day. Try me. All right? Oh, I'd never get tired of these donuts. Mm. Oh, I love these sweets. I remember once when I was a kid, cola cubes. Anybody remember cola cubes? Some of you. I think they still sell them in the old-fashioned. My parents once bought me one of those bottles of cola cubes. I never finished the last two-thirds. And I haven't had one since I was about eight. Whoa! Just too much. And you might think you could eat all the ice cream in the world, and you might think you could eat all of your favourite sweets, and you might think you could, you know, just work your way through a trough of donuts or whatever may take your fancy. But I'll tell you this: it won't be long before you start vomiting. It won't be long before you start feeling really, really sick. The same is true with sin. We think it's so sweet. We think I will never get enough of this. I could drink this forever. I could eat this forever. I could do this forever until God in his mercy begins to make your stomach contract and your throat begin to close. And the things that you once thought were your deepest delights, just the merest sniff of the... begins to turn your stomach and you begin to want something more something better something purer and something higher you become sick of your sin sick of its ugliness and conscious that there is something more than this world could ever have to offer God lifts your hopes because not only do you become sick of what you have but you become hopeful of what you do not yet have There is a prospect of deliverance. There is, my friends, the possibility of purity. Though you may have drunk down all the filth of sin, 
Yet God shows you that there is hope for sinners, that there is the possibility that you, even you, could be made clean, that though your sins are like scarlet, that God can make you as white as snow. And God lifts up your desires and God lifts up your hopes and God lifts up your eyes to gaze upon his son, Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth, the ransomer, the redeemer, the sacrifice, the cleanser, the physician for your soul. To look to him in faith. To trust him as he set forth in the scriptures as the king who delivers, as the sacrifice who cleanses, as the Lord who draws near. And he lifts up your heart, gives you a new nature, gives you a new life, gives you a new experience, gives you a new joy and gives you new prospects. He lifts you out of the dust He lifts you out of the ash heap. God finds us wretched, low, poor, needy, dirty, filthy. And God raises up. God lifts out. And where does God put us? That we may seat that one with the princes. And that's not enough. You get a special qualification. You get a particular description with the princes of his people. Now, there have been a lot of titles and honours that have already been dispensed since Her Majesty was called home. Not many surprises, were there? Were you shocked that it was King Charles III and not King Darren I? I don't think so. Were you staggered to discover that uh, William has now become William, Prince of Wales? Maybe there were a few touches, but they'd been prepared long before. No one was now saying that we don't expect Camilla to be Queen Consort. That's what happens. Princes become kings. Commoners don't become princes. Darren doesn't go from serving at his majesty's pleasure in Belmarsh to become King Darren I. Except when God is dealing. Because the Lord seats those that he lifts out of the dust and the ash heap with princes. If you were down low and I said, I can get you just an inch. You're just hovering over the dust and I'm not sure I'll be able to hold you up for much longer. That's not a great deliverance. It may be temporary, it's not very high. But if you're lifted out of the dust of shame and grief and misery and sin and you are seated with princes, not just any princes, but the princes of God's people. You see, my friends, God does nothing by halves. God doesn't save in a small degree. God doesn't show mercy in human measure, but on a grand scale. Tomorrow, if you turn on the television, you will see the princes of this world. You will see the prime ministers. You will see the presidents. They've begun gathering from the four corners of the globe. They're flying into London and they will get the front row. The royal family and the great ones of the earth. What if there was a a name place on one of those seats? 
reserved for Jeremy Walker. Really? Me? With them? Wouldn't you be staggered if you got a phone call this evening? Excuse me, is that Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so or Master or Miss, Mrs. or whatever? It seems that you've been overlooked. They want you at the Abbey tomorrow. They want you seated among the princes and among the presidents and among the prime ministers. Your seat has been reserved. You'd be saying, well, now this is honour. I bet you'd find something to wear. <laughs> I bet you'd make sure you got there in good time. You'd be doled up, whatever you can do with whatever face you've got. You'd be, you want to look your best. And God finds his people. He raises them out of the dust and he seats them with his princes. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 13? They're going to come from north and south and east and west and they're going to sit down in the kingdom with whom? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God's chosen ones. The patriarchs, the models of faith, the men whom themselves God saw. Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, an idolater, and God said, I'm taking you out of the dust heap. I'm going to make you my prince. Israel, God's prince. God will seat you next to his prince. God will put you amongst the ranks of his chosen ones. God will elevate you so that you are enthroned together with those whom the Lord delights to honour. My friends, the glory of God's grace is not seen only in what God brings us from, but where God brings us to. Not just that he lifts us out of the ash heap, that would be stunning, but that God seats us with the princes, even the princes of his people, that he brings us, as it were, into his inner chamber. That there are crowns for us, and that there are thrones for us. There is glory to come for us that you can call him who reigns on high Abba Father and that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is your King and your Lord has made you kings and priests to God that you may ultimately sit with him in person being now seated together with Christ in the heavenly places do you understand that that's where you are this morning if you're a Christian you're not just sitting on a reasonably comfortable chair in a reasonably comfortable space here in Crawley. You're here now, but you are in Christ and seated with him in the highest place because you belong to him and God has lifted you from the ash heap of your sin and your misery and he has seated you with the princes of his people. And that's why Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the preacher. Because God delights to take the lowest. And that's why a man like John Bunyan, who was renowned when growing up for his blasphemies, by the time he's reached his middle years, he's known in the air as Bishop Bunyan because of the influence that he has on the churches around about. And that's why sinners like me get to stand in pulpits like this and talk about the God who saves sinners like us. And that's why a Whitfield who's born in an inn in Gloucester 
becomes one of the finest preachers since the apostolic age. Because God delights to take the poor and the needy and the lowly and the wretched and the miserable and the empty and to fill them with all the fullness that is in Christ Jesus. My friends, if we are believers, we're not just lifted up from the depths, we are raised up to the heights. Now, how does God save us? So far, we're just sort of tracing the ark, aren't we? Here we are, we're in the dust, we're in the ash heap, we're poor and we're needy, and God has brought us up and lifted us on high. He's seated us with princes, Christians, even with the princes of his people. Ours are all the joys and the privileges and the excellencies of the kingdom of grace, which is going to rise into the kingdom of glory. Now, how did God accomplish that? What do you do if you see someone in the dust and on the ash heap? And be honest. What do you do when you smell the smell that comes from that doorway? What do you do when that man with the, the marks in his veins holds out his hand and says, I just want something to eat? You think, mm. You step around them. You step over them sometimes. How do you deal with those in the dust and in the dunghill? Sometimes we don't just don't want anything to do with those who don't belong what if God had left us where we were what if God had never done anything but leave us where would you be today I know where I would be poor and in the dust needy and on the ash heap Sometimes we deal with those on the dust and on the ashes by keeping our distance. Did you know there are some commoners who are going to be there tomorrow? There's a few stories going around. The people who got the call. I think there are 200 places, I think I'm right in saying 200 places who are reserved for people who you wouldn't expect to be there. They're very worthy people. And there's the problem. Were you worthy enough? I mean, maybe somebody here was. I mean, I don't want to do down some of the good that people made. You say, yeah, actually, I got the invitation. You know, I, I, I distributed so many thousands of food packages during COVID. I started this charity because I'd had a really bad life and, and I wanted to help others. Now, we're not dismissing the particular acts of kindness, but you see the principle, don't you? That's a bit like God standing over here in the dusty... Can you, can you just get yourself up a little bit, please? Can you move away from the ash heap just a touch? And once you've cleaned yourself up, and once you've tidied yourself up, and once you've made a bit of an effort, and once you're no longer quite so dusty and quite so ashy, and not quite so poor and not quite so needy, once you've shown yourself worthy, once you've made enough of an effort, then we'll reward you. And you can sit seven rows behind the princes and the prime ministers and the presidents in your specially reserved seats. 
Has God dealt with us like that? No. God didn't draw back. God didn't stay back. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth? And my friends, not just to look at them, but to get his hands dirty. How did God lift you out of the dust? How did God lift you out of the ash heap? How did God seat you with princes, even with the princes of his people? Not by shying away from you, not by shouting at you from a distance. He did not demand that you deliver yourself. He did not insist that you cleanse yourself. He came down. He drew near. He reached out. He put his own spotless hands upon you. And he put his own mighty arms beneath you. Do you understand what you see when you read the gospel records and you see a Jesus who touches the lepers and a Christ who calls the tax collectors and a Jesus who heals the sick and a Christ who touches the dead and makes them live? It is God getting his hands dirty to save sinners like us. And my friends, he does it still. What did we read in Philippians chapter 2? We read of a God who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. Think of it. God stoops down in order to see what's in the heavens. God can't look up because there's nothing above him. God cannot look around in that sense because there's nothing like him. God can only look down and stoop down and draw near. And he does it in the person of his son, preeminently, who took to himself flesh and blood, who came in the form of a servant, who took our humanity, and who became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. My friends, that's low. That's the curse of God upon sin. That's the depths of the dust. That's buried beneath the ash heap. And the preaching of the good news is that God in the person of his son has come near to sinners like us to raise us out of the dust, to lift the needy out of the ash heap, to seat us with princes, with the princes of his people. Do you know what it's like to have the hands of Christ lift you out of the depths? Have you heard the voice of Jesus pleading? Have you felt the strength of God lifting in the person of his son? Has he raised your desires? Has he raised your hopes? Has he raised and fixed your eyes upon his son? And as he raised you, heart and soul and life and strength, out of the dust, and as he put you with the princes, called you his child, his beloved, his delight, the apple of his eye, and said that what you now have, 
will never be taken away from you. That the crown you possess is a crown that will be placed upon your brow when you come into his presence and glory. That you will seat on thrones and you will judge the earth. That you have grace now and there is only glory to come. You and I, we're not going to sit with the princes at the funeral. We're not going to be on thrones at the coronation if and when that happens. But we are now seated with Christ in the heavenlies because God looked upon us and loved us. He stooped down in the person of his son to raise the poor out of the dust and lift the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. Now, where are you sitting this morning? And I don't mean on that chair and in this place. There's only two possibilities. You may be here this morning poor and in the dust, needy and in the ashes. And I'm telling you that God saves sinners. I am assuring you now that if you understand because of God's mercy toward you what it means to be lost and needy and shameful and sorrowful, if you've been given some sense of your sin and you've given some faint glimpse of the glory of God as it shines in the face of Jesus Christ, then you need only cry out. Why? Because you can't crawl off. And you can't climb up. And you can't help yourself. But there is one who comes. And who will get his hand. Don't say I'm too dirty. I'm too deep. I'm too far. I'm too needy. I'm too bad. Don't say. I'm not bad enough. You are. Say God have mercy upon me. A sinner. Lift me. Raise me. Bring me from the dust and the ashes. O Lord, put me not on a throne in this world, but seat me with Christ in the heavenlies. Give me the prospect, not of a world that falls at my feet, but of a world without end, sitting at the feet of Jesus, casting my crowns before him and praising his name forever and forever because of the way he has dealt with me. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Why? Why? Because the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God, who dwells on high and humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. 
Praise the Lord.